ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಾನಂದಷ್ಟಾರಮೀಶ್ವರಂಶ್ವರಂಪಕಂಲೋಕಾಪಕಂಲೋಕಾರಣಮ್ಯಹಂ we will be using this first verse of this text as the invocation to start the classes so in this introduction to vedanta series we have uh, successfully completed one introductory text drigdrishya viveka and now we have started in the last last class we started this new introductory text aparoksha anubhuti this is an introductory text prakarana grantha in sanskrit written by shankaracharya himself and um, well new only in a relative sense new in the sense that the book itself is 1400 years old uh, but it's new to us the subject matter is not new to us all of us who have been studying vedanta for many many years and those of us who we attended the drigdrishya viveka classes uh, the subject matter is the same but the presentation is new and uh, unique every time we read one of these books and in this book specially it's a very powerful presentation uh, i was saying it is a step up from the text which we completed earlier the drigdrishya viveka um we had done the first two verses we shall go into the third verse verse number 3 swavarnashrama dharmena tapasaharitoshanat sadhanam prabhavet pumsam ಹರಿ through austerities and the performance of duties pertaining to their social order and stage in life now what does this mean vedanta when properly understood is extraordinarily simple is uh, it in fact it seems that uh, it it seems obvious and it seems so easy to attain but it's not all that simple there is a catch and the catch is at the very beginning when each of these vedanta texts talks about the preliminaries the fourfold preliminary so they set the entry bar pretty high um in examinations in universities you have entrance examinations i think uh, in united states you have the sat scores and 
you have to have very high SAT scores to apply to good universities. So here the, the author is asking for extremely high SAT scores. So that, that is the catch at the right, right at the beginning. I remember I had visited the ruins of Nalanda University before coming here last year, last year in India. It's in the state of Bihar. It's, one, it's probably the oldest university in the world. It started around 680, um, 1400 years ago. And it was destroyed around 1280. I remember visiting Oxford University also last year. And the oldest college that's there, Balliol College, uh, that started as a monastery, not even as a university. It started as a monastery in 1284 or something like that. That means in the early, uh, in, in the 13th century. So when Nalanda had been destroyed, Oxford was just beginning to uh, get off the ground. Now in Nalanda University, the ruins are there. They are, they are archaeologically, they're preserved by the Archaeological Society of India, ASI. And the entrance, there are gates where those who wanted to study in that university would enter through those gates. And they were, at its height, it had more than 11,000 students. And each student had a room. Um, each, each student ha had a room of his own. I'm saying his because uh, to our best of our knowledge, it was a very patriarchal society. So I think all of them were probably men. Uh, and the interesting thing was at the entrance, the gatekeepers at the entrance were great scholars, something like a PhD today or something, or, or more than that. And they would ask you questions about grammar and such. And if you were able to pass those questions, then you would get entrance into the university. So literally an entrance examination, an examination taken at the entr entrance. Um, there are stories, I don't know how true they are, the examinations in the university. You know, when you progress in your studies, uh, it seems that if you flunked your examinations, there was a well into which you were thrown. So <laughs> I think that was a great disincentive probably. Now, here the entrance is uh, set, the bar is set pretty high. Fourfold qualifications they ask of us. This is called the sadhana chaturshtaya. Fourfold preliminary qualifications. What are these fourfold qualifications? Viveka, discrimination between the real and the unreal. Vairagya, dispassion for the unreal, eagerness to attain the real. Shamadamadi, Shatsampati, the sixfold treasure, basically disciplines. And finally, the fourth one was Mumukshutvam, uh, uh, an intense eagerness for liberation, for freedom, for spiritual freedom. Um, now, these are the four, and they'll be discussed in some, some detail. Today, we'll look at them. Every book, every Vedanta book will begin with this, so that we know what we are getting into. Now, a question may arise, well, that's pretty steep. I'm already disqualified. I'm already disqualified. Well, we, there's no reason to think that we are disqualified. In fact, as we shall see, we do have these qualifications in some measure. The whole effort is to strengthen them. We have enough to, we have enough to be going with. We have enough gas in the tank to, to undertake the journey. But we'll have to fill it up occasionally. Um, Another question would be, how do I do that? How do I strengthen these fourfold qualifications? 
And this verse, before they give us the list of the first fourfold qualifications and what they mean, this verse, verse number three, tells us something important. What does it tell us? It tells us, Pumsam Vairagyadi Chatushtayam. The person who wants to pursue Vedanta, he or she will get these fourfold qualifications in this way. In which way? Um, by fulfilling one's obligations and duties. In traditionally in Indian society, the society was divided into castes and into different station stages of life. So there were these four, traditionally there were four castes, the Brahmanas, the priests, priestly class, the Kshatriyas, the warrior or the administrating, administrative class, the, royal, the rulers, the Vaishya, the business and trading class, the Shudra, the laboring classes, these were castes and over time they became hereditary and each caste had certain duties, obligations allotted to them. These, this caste system long ago became uh, corrupted and became twisted and perverted and today it's most more or less it's gone, although the feelings are still there but practically it's not very useful today. But what it does mean is, it, there's a message there that the obligations we face in life, the station in which we are placed in life, that has a role to play in our spiritual life. Often we find newcomers to Vedanta become very enthusiastic sometimes. And, the, and they say, I'm off to India or I'm off to the Himalayas to sit and meditate in a cave. Well, usually that's just asking for trouble. It's much better to prepare oneself to prepare the ground as it were before making any big changes. The real changes are to be internal changes. If without preparation we make sudden external changes, we find that our life gets so disturbed that the, the little spiritual practice that we were capable of doing earlier, we are not capable of doing it anymore. So it's not a good idea to disturb the existing structure of life. Also, it's a good idea to finish what one has started. By which I mean, I remember we were in the monastery in India and young men would join and they do join the monastery to become monks and we would notice a curious phenomenon that in the, just before the examinations, there were lots of people who wanted to become monks, young people. <laughs> so I think they were, they are prompted more by a fear of examinations than by the fear of God or the love of God. <laughs> and inevitably, the senior swamis would, would counsel caution that they would say that finish your examinations, go through the examinations, get your degree and then come, we are there, we'll be here waiting for you. You are undertaking a lifetime of spiritual practice. It's not a matter of one or two or three years, it's a lifetime's commitment. So you're undertaking something that requires a lifetime of patience and you do not have the patience to wait two months or three months more. You have to finish the examinations, get your degree. So it's good to complete what one has started. That way, the structure that life imposes upon us. Many people say that, oh Swami, we do not have time for meditation and spiritual practices. We have a job and we have a family and we have these obligations. True to some extent, on the other hand, on the other hand, what happens is if you 
if you, one may think that I'll give up all of that and if I get a nice cave in the Himalayas, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to uh, realize God so quick. Well, that doesn't happen. If we give up all that and go away to a secluded place, an ashrama or, a, um, or to a, a, a solitary place, it may be nice for the first one or two or three days, but then one sees that one just cannot make any progress. The real problems are not outside. The real problems are inside. They say that wherever you go, there you are. You may leave everybody else behind. All those troublesome people behind. All that troublesome you know, job and whatnot, and even your boss, you have left the boss behind. But the thing is, one person has accompanied you to your meditation cave, and that's you. And then that's when we realize the biggest obstacle is not the boss or the wife or the husband or the kids or the obligations or the taxes or whatever. The biggest obstacle is within us. So it's good sometimes to stick to social obligations and then cultivate Vedanta. Remember, Arjuna wanted to give up the fight and become a monk. And Krishna said, wonderful, you want to lead a spiritual life? Yes. Well, you first you have to do the duty you have undertaken. The battle, the, you have to fight the battle of life first. And of course you can do it in a spiritual way which will help your spiritual life. So, Svavarna Ashrama Dharmena. Ashrama Dharma also means that um, the stages of life. There was Brahmacharya Ashrama corresponding to youth, a studentship. Then there was Grihastha Ashrama. A householder life, when one would get married and, and settle down and hold a job and raise a family. And then there would be Vanaprastha Ashrama, when one would retire into seclusion maybe and cultivate religion and spirituality more intensely. And then there would be Sannyasa Ashrama, where one would become a monk. And this was a general structure laid down for life. Each stage of life has certain duties and obligations. And they are not Contrary to spirituality, they may actually, they can help spirituality. They are in fact designed to help spirituality. In fact, Shankaracharya in his commentary on the Taittiriya Upanishad, in one place he says, the entire structure of Varna and Ashrama, the social structure set up in Vedic India, has one purpose, and that is the realization of Brahman. He actually says this. The ultimate goal of all of this, of of studying, of having a job, of raising a family, of retiring uh, into seclusion, of becoming a monk, all of that taken together, the ultimate goal is always realization of Brahman. Shankaracharya says this literally. Tapasa, austerities. You see, the Buddha, when he decided to become the Buddha, when he decided to become a spiritual seeker, what is the first thing that he did? He took up an intense course of austerities. That is to discipline the body and mind. So austerities and haritoshanat, devotion to God. If you can please God through devotion. In fact, it is said, Ishvara Anugraha Deva Pumsam Advaita Vasana. It is by the grace alone that one gets a desire to attain non-dual realization. Advaita. The desire, the interest in non-duality comes from the great grace of God. So conventional religion is not against non-dualism or not against true spirituality. Conventional religion in the right spirit 
can provide, does provide a solid foundation for spirituality. Often you would find all these great spiritual masters in ancient India, they were very observant Hindus. They followed all the duties of the Varnayan Ashrama meticulously and of course went ahead into non-dual philosophy in Advaita. So these are some pointers. Don't disturb the external life unnecessarily. Cultivate spirituality first but internally. A disciplined and simple life, tapas, austerities, is very helpful for this philosophy of Advaita, for, for realizing non-dualism in one's life. And devotion to God is also very helpful, haritoshana. With this background, let us go into the fourfold qualifications. Um, the fourfold qualifications are, I have mentioned, Viveka, Vairagya, the sixfold treasure or sixfold discipline, and Mumukshutvam. Discrimination between the real and the unreal, between the eternal and the temporary, that's one. Number two will be a, a dispassion, a disregard for what is temporary, for what is transient a desire to attain what is eternal, vairagya. Number three will be a set of six disciplines. And number four will be an intense yearning for liberation. Now since the six disciplines are there, shramadamadi, shat sampatti, they are in Sanskrit it literally means the sixfold treasure. When we set out on a journey, you need money. You need to take your master card and visa card and all that with you. So like that, you need this sixfold, we need this sixfold treasure when we set out on the spiritual journey. So since the six are included, although they are four, they are said to be four in number, if you enumerate them specifically, it becomes nine. Nine in number. Viveka one, Vairagya two, and then three, four, five, six, seven, eight are the sixfold treasure, the sixfold disciplines. And then finally, Mumukshutvam, ninth. Now, um, Shankaracharya, in his magnificent commentary to the Brahma Sutras, at the very beginning, the first sutra, Adato Brahma Jigyasa, there he says, Eteshu cha satsu Brahma Jigyasitum Gyatum cha Shakyate Natu Viparjaye. He says, when these fourfold qualifications are present, one can genuinely inquire into Brahman. One can genuinely be a spiritual seeker and one can realize Brahman also. One can become an enlightened person also. Natu viparjaye, but not in the contrary. If these fourfold qualifications are not there, then one can, let alone becoming enlightened, even the spiritual seeking will not be a genuine seeking. It might be a kind of superficial curiosity. You see, these days it's very easy. You can go to the bookshop and you can buy all the books and you can sit and read them also. But if the qualifications are not there, then what will happen is there are different levels. I mean, depending on what level one is at, one may get all the books and then there they will remain nicely arranged on the shelf with a, with a kind of resolve that someday I'll read all of them. Or one may read them and become bored very soon. What are they talking about? Or one may read them and begin to get what they are talking about. But that's it, that's the end. One doesn't do anything about it. So the fourfold qualification is necessary to convert Vedanta from a study of a very interesting philosophy 
into something that will give us fulfillment in life to solve our problems. Now, the fourfold qualifications, let's take them up one by one. First, Viveka and Vairagya. And very interestingly, in this book, he starts with Vairagya, dispassion. Usually the list starts with discrimination between the real and the unreal and then dispassion. Here he starts with dispassion. Brahmadi Savaranteshu Brahmadi Savaranteshu Vairagyam Vishayeshwanu Vairagyam Vishayeshwanu Yathaiva Kaka Vishthayam Yathaiva Kaka Vishthayam Vairagyam Tadhi Nirmalam Vairagyam Tadhi Nirmalam the indifference with which one treats the excreta of a crow. Okay, that's gross. But it's meant to be. It's meant to be so that you feel disgust. Such an indifference to all objects of enjoyment from, from the realm of Brahma, I'll come back to that, to this world, in view of their perishable nature, is verily called pure vairagya. Now don't be, don't be discouraged. I don't have so much of dispassion that I treat, um, you know, chocolate cake as the excreta of a crow. <laughs> I don't. Well, let's just remember he's speaking about the final stage of vairagya, the best kind of vairagya. We all have vairagya to some extent. Otherwise, we wouldn't have braved 101, especially today, with all the traffic backup to come here and uh, sit and listen to a, to a talk on a 1,500-year-old text. Uh, so Vairagya, we have, we have certainly enough to begin with. Now he says, complete disregard for all kinds of enjoyments provided by this world. In uh, one of the classic texts of Advaita Vedanta, Vedanta Sar, it is said, Iha Muttra Phalabhogartha Viraga. The dispassion for all kinds of enjoyment in this world and the next. What people are pursuing, most of us are pursuing, is we, because we want to be happy, we look at the avenues of happiness open to us in this world. Various kinds of entertainment, relationships, various kinds of sense pleasures, um, various activities, and we try them out one after another. Now we all come to an understanding that none of them provide permanent satisfaction. None of them provide permanent satisfaction. Once one comes to a mature understanding, you may still have that ice cream or chocolate cake, but you should not look at it as a source of satisfaction, a kind of aim in life, you know. Eat to live, not live to eat. So the enjoyments of the world are there and they may come into your life, but they are no longer the purpose of living. They are no longer the purpose of living. You can see how much of our time and energy is consumed in providing various kinds of avenues of pleasure. Look at all the fancy restaurants out there. Just food. Just food. And they say among the monks in, uh, in the Himalayas, that food is to be treated like medicine. Hunger is a disease, take your medicine. And that's it. 
That's the attitude towards food. You don't want a fancy restaurant where you pay uh, like hundreds of dollars to take your tablets. No. Why should you? A, a, a gourmet tablet shop or something? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, so the things of the world are still there and they are necessary for our living, but they are not the purpose of life. And one should not spend time and energy and money and to pursue these in life. And there are higher worlds. There are heavens. The Vedas speak of many heavens. Different religions have this heaven concept. What is a heaven concept? The heaven concept is where I can get happiness unmixed with unhappiness. Here at least happiness is mixed with unhappiness. It comes to an end, it is expensive, it is troublesome and so many problems. And after I finished, it gives me two minutes of, somebody said it very interestingly, uh, you some kind of tasty food. It's um, two minutes on the lips and 20 years on the hips. Or something. <laughs> you become fat and you have to struggle to put off, you have to throw off the <laughs> weight. Uh, but in heaven, you can do that. You can eat as much as you want without, you know, putting on weight. So that's a heaven concept where you can have lots of pleasures without any problem. But that too comes to an end. The heavens in Hinduism or Buddhism or Jainism, they all come to an end. In Sikhism, they come to an end. Uh, there are no permanent heavens. Searching for heaven is not Vedanta. It is not spirituality. Heaven is where I remain an individual. I just go to a better place. This place is good. That place is better. So I would like to go there. That's a heaven concept. I am enjoying life here. I want to enjoy life after death. I go to a better place after death and enjoy life there too. Much more than I can do here. That's a heaven concept. And Vedanta says that too comes to an end. And one must not pursue that if one wants Vedanta, if one wants spirituality. When Swami Vivekananda came here more than a hundred years ago, he shocked uh, many people by saying that I have not come here to teach you how to go to heaven. I have come here to teach you how to stop going to heaven. <laughs> uh, so a disregard for the enjoyments promised by this world and the enjoyments promised by the next world. This world and the next world. One of the senior swamis who taught us in uh, Mat in the monastery he said that you are very quick to dismiss the next word, next world. Oh, I don't want heaven. Very easy to say that. A lot of people will say that today. And he says that's because you don't believe in it. Modern man does not believe in heaven maybe. They're skeptical about it. If one cannot give up the pleasures promised in this world, you can be sure that you are not going to give up the pleasures you promised in heaven. It's just because I don't believe in it, I'm so quick to say that, oh, I don't want that. But a disregard for that, not pursuing that. Just as an aside, how would you pursue pleasures in heaven if you are interested? Don't be. <laughs> there was a whole portion in the Vedas called Karmakanda, ritualistic portion in the Vedas, where you accumulate lots of merit. Lots of, you've you have got lots of money in the bank, you put, put it there, lots of merit uh, by performing various kinds of rituals. And this assure, you are assured that after death, you can, your soul, the Jivatman would go to some heaven and according to the amount of merit that we have accumulated, you'll have a very pleasant time, a nice time, a party for thousands of years in heaven, 
But then you have to come back again. You have to come back again. Swami Nishreshanandaji, who a uh, senior Swami of our order, who started our Vedanta movement in South Africa. He had a very nice way with words. You know, he would explain things so beautifully. So this heaven concept, he explains it this way. He says, when I came from Durban to Bombay, I came by Air India. I got a ticket. I had to get so much money and then purchase a ticket. And when I come to the aeroplane, there is this air hostess standing and saying, come, come, this is your seat. It's actually a, almost a literal translation of uh, a Vedic sentence. There are heavenly hosts who say, uh, um, uh, I've forgotten the exact thing. You know, come, come, iha, ehi, ehi, come here, come here. This is the, the world that you have earned by your merits. So exactly like that, come, this is the seat that you have purchased. And then I go and sit down there and the plane takes off and goes to 40,000 feet, high above. And it is air conditioned and it's so nice. And then they put on a movie, you watch a movie. And then the air hostesses come with uh, food and drinks. In, in heaven you're supposed to have an endless round of partying, you know, drinking the... But they have only one choice, the nectar. There's no range you can get. Only one choice is there, nectar, Amrita. But then finally the plane lands in Mumbai and they announce that, um, thank you for flying with Air India. The humidity outside is 100% and it's 45 degrees. That is 105 degrees in the shade outside. <laughs> Thank you for flying. And you can't say, no, I don't want to go out there. I want to stay here. You'll say, you have to go out there. If you want to fly again with us, you have to purchase it. Purchase another ticket. So the people in Southwest are humorous. When we landed in a particular airport and the pilot thanked us for flying with Southwest and he said, and their motto is, we love you. So they said that, uh, re remember, we love you, and we love your money more. <laughs> so do fly with us. In the same way, you, can, you have to come, but the Jivatman, the individual comes back from heaven, and if they want to go to heaven again, again you have to perform all those rites and rituals and be a very, very religious person so that you can go to heaven. All that is temporary. All that is temporary. Beyond that lies spiritu real spirituality. So that is Vairagya. Then next, Viveka. Nityam Atma Swarupam Hi Nityam Atma Swarupam Hi Drishyam Tadviparitagam Drishyam Tadviparitagam Evam Yonishchaya Samyak Evam Yonishaya Samyak Viveko Vastuna Savai Viveko Vastuna Savai The Atman, the self, is the seer, in itself is alone permanent, that is, which is seen, is opposed to it, that it is transient. Such a settled conviction is truly known as discrimination or Viveka. What does it mean? It says that the Viveka means Analysis or discrimination. Literally the word means to separate two things which are mixed up. Viveka comes from the Sanskrit vivich, pitakkarane, to separate. Two things, a confusion is there, two things are mixed up to separate them. Not physically, in our understanding. 
Sri Ramakrishna says, sand and sugar are mixed up, the ant can separate them. Milk and water are mixed up and apparently the swan can actually filter out the water and take the milk only. And so, in the same way, life presents us with a mixture of the divine and the, uh, and the temporal, the eternal and the temporal. And we have to select the eternal and turn away from the temporal. Nitya anitya vastu viveka. The ability to discern what is passing in life. The ability to discern what is possibly eternal. And to turn away from the transient and to turn towards the eternal. When do we have to do this? All the time. All the time. The Upanishad says, the pleasant and the good, preya and shreya, pleasant and the good are presented to us all the time. And all the time we have to select the good, not the pleasant. And often, unfortunately, the pleasant is not always good for us. So that which is good, good means that which takes us to our goal. And Upanishad is very clear. It's in Kato Upanishad. It's very clear that those who select the pleasant because it's nice, they fall away from their goal. Spiritual goal definitely, but even secular goals. One who keeps taking the short and easy way out will never attain anything great in life. And those who select that which is good, that which is according in, in harmony with their goal, they will attain the goal in life. If it is God-realization or enlightenment, will attain enlightenment. So this viveka, ability to discern. A question may come here. The ability to discern between the eternal and the temporal, eternal and the transient. Only an enlightened soul can do that. To know what is eternal, Brahman, and to know what is anityam, non-eternal, only an enlightened person can do that because we don't know Brahman, we don't know God, we have not realized God yet. So what is meant here is, not in the final sense, but to begin with. To begin with an understanding, a kind of conviction, a kind of feeling that there is something to this spirituality business. Here is something they are speaking about which can be of help to me. All the religions of the world, all the spiritual traditions of the world are speaking about Something, moksha, nirvana, kaivalya, salvation, whatever they speak about. They all are speaking about something eternal, which is supposed to solve all the problems of my life. So a kind of feeling that this may be true, this possibly is true, a feeling for that. And that nothing else in this world can really solve my problems. This feeling, this discernment in the mind is viveka. This ability to separate the two is viveka. Evam yo nishchaya samyak. This firm conviction, firm clarity in life. This is called viveka. God alone is my aim, nothing in the world. Sri Ramakrishna was once asked, Can you tell us religion and spirituality in one sentence? Swami Brahmananda records this. And Sri Ramakrishna replied to that man, God alone is real, the world is unreal. Brahma Shatta Jagat Mitha. And then he says, Consider this well or assimilate this truth. Eti Dharanakaru. Assimilate this truth. And Swami Brahmananda thinks it important to add that after this, Sri Ramakrishna kept quiet, meaning thereby this is the whole of religion. 
Brahman alone is real, the world is an appearance is false. This is Viveka. One may not have we have not realized it yet, but this kind of feeling for it, that there is something to the spiritual life, that is Viveka. Then we have the sixfold disciplines, the sixfold treasure. What are the sixfold treasure? Shama, control of the mind, Dhamma, control of the sense, or, sense organs, then Uparati, withdrawal from external enjoyment, withdrawing from, stepping back from enjoyment of the world, Uparati. And then Titiksha, a kind of spiritual fortitude to put up with the troubles that life is go has been throwing to us, at us, and is will go on throwing at us, even if we become very spiritual persons, you know. I am so spiritual, why are people tra troubling me? Well, they will. Titiksha, the ability to, to withstand that. And then you have Samadhana. Shraddha, uh, Samadhana, that is a settling down, a deep concentration of focus on spiritual pursuits. And then finally, Shraddha. Shraddha is a faith. Not a blind faith, but a kind of working hypothesis, a working faith that what these people are telling us, this, these scriptures of the world are telling us, there is some truth in that. I may not understand it now, I may not get all of it now, but there is something to it, let me take it up in earnest. It's just like one goes to a university course, and one goes and sits in the class and listens to the professor with some kind of faith. The faith is that this guy up there is not speaking nonsense. The books are not full of lies. So there is some truth there and what the teacher is telling us has got some truth in it. I may not get it now. I may not get it only partially, but there is the hope of understanding it. The goal is to understand. In blind faith, there is no promise of understanding. You just have to go on believing. But here, this is not blind faith. This is just enough faith to go on with your spiritual practice and investigation till you understand it very clearly for yourself, till it becomes your very own. Now let's take up each of them. Sadeva Vasanatyaga Sadeva Vasanatyaga Shamoyam Miti Shabdita Shamoyam Miti Shabdita Nigraho Bahya Vrittinam Nigraho Bahya Vrittinam Dhamma Ityabhidhiyate Dhamma Ityabhidhiyate Abandoning, giving up various kinds of desires consistently is called Shama. Quietening the mind is Shama. Shama is quietening the mind. This quietening of the mind is not possible when I have filled the mind with a hundred desires. A hundred little desires. I want this, I want that, I shall enjoy this, I shall go there, I shall see this. No. If I fill it up with all these desires, the mind is continuously agitated and there goes Vedanta out of the window. It will not stick. And Dhamma is the control of the activities of the sense organs and the motor organs. External activity. Um, you know, the, how one controls the mind. Swami Turiyananda, let's take two stories from the life of Swami Turiyananda. In Belurmat, the main monastery, 
in the summer when it's very hot, there is the tradition of making a cool drink out of yogurt. And it's sweet and it's cool and it's offered to the Lord in the main temple. And then the monks by turn, each day one monk gets it as offered food, as prasad. And it's very nice. I have got it also, so I know, I know it's very nice. It's an old tradition. It's especially nice when it is 105 in the shade. And you, so this person will come up to you and say, it's your turn today, Swami, you can have this. And it's really nice. Now I read many, many years ago when this tradition was still there, it, 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 it had started by that time. Swami Turiyanandaji, one of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, he was visiting Belurmat. And the young novice came up with that glass of, refreshing glass of cold yogurt, sweet yogurt to the Swami and said, this was offered to Sri Ramakrishna today, Swami, so it is prasad, offered, offered food, uh, sacramental food, and uh, it's your turn, so today you, you take it. The Swami took one sip and he gave it back, he said no. And the novice thought maybe something is wrong. He said, Swami, don't you like it? And the Swami said, I like it, that's why. <laughs> Immediately the mind said, it's nice. And the Swami said, stop, that's it, give it back. But that's a pretty steep curve to follow, actually. <laughs> External activity. There's a, um, another incident in Kashi, in Benares, when Swami, this very same Swami Turiyananda was there. Um, one young Swami, in the evening he had gone out for some work. And that was the meditation time. And when this was reported to Swami Turiyananda, he scolded the Swami so hard, that, that young Swami, that the Swami ran away from the ashram. What he said was, in Bengali, he said, Shondhar shomai sadhu ashon chede thakbe kena. In the evening, when the sun has set, after that, why should a sadhu, a monk, leave his meditation seat? It should be in meditation. And he said, Swami, how long? Until the sun rises, of course. And it's, it's not exaggeration. Swami Turiyananda himself used to do that. There are reminiscences of him in, in Rishikesh when he was doing tapasya. Throughout the day, he would study and think about Vedanta. He would go for one hour to beg for food. He says, a monk, for one hour in a day, he is a fakir, a beggar. And for 23 hours, he is an emperor. Because only one hour he has to go out and ask for something from the world, that is food. And for the rest of the 23 hours, the person is completely free. So he's an emperor. Now, as evening would fall, of course, no light, no electricity or anything like that. He would go back to his little hut, which is made of leaves and branches. And then he would sit for meditation there. He, would, he, he, he could not sleep. He said a week went by without sleeping. He had no need of sleep. The yogis say that those who are samadhi one, those who attain samadhi, they don't need sleep. So he would remain immersed, absorbed in samadhi throughout the night. Now this complete lack of external pravritti, I shall go there, I shall do this, I shall see that, this thing, that pulling it back and concentrating on Vedanta, that is what is meant by Dhamma. Again, don't be discouraged. We have enough of that. If you're going to come here and sit here for more, one hour patiently and listen to Vedanta. So some amount of Shama and Dhamma definitely we have got.
Then the next one is Uparati. Third one, third of the six treasures. Vishayebhya Paravritti Vishayebhya Paravritti Paramo Paratirhisa Paramo Paratirhisa Sahanam Sarvadukhanam Sahanam Sarvadukhanam Titikshasa Shubhamatam Turning away completely from all sense objects is the height of Uparati. Uparati is just the opposite of Rati. Rati means enjoyment in objects of the world. Uh, form, which I see. I want to see nice things. Sound, I want to hear nice things. Nice music, even more musical than music is somebody praising me. I want to hear that. I want to hear that. Touch, smell, taste of course. So, enjoyment with five different mouths, as it were, we are tasting the world. And this kind of, and it may be complex forms, like uh, maybe in the company of people, I want that, I can't stay by myself. This kind of going out, flowing out towards the world is called rati. And reversing that, reversing that, not seeking engagement and pleasure outside, but seeking peace and joy within, in my own spiritual practices, that is Uparati. I know one very senior Swami in our order, um, a gentleman, a, a, an important person, had made an appointment with him and did not stick to the time, which was in the afternoon, and turned up only in the evening. And he said, I want to meet the Swami. And the Swami sent word, morning is for you, the evening is for me. That means, at this time, I am ready and open to receive visitors and talk to you. After the sun has set, I shall retire completely, cut off the world. This is Uparati. This is Uparati. One time we must, we must step back from the world. If we look at the lives of all great spiritual masters, you will see there is an engagement with the world and society and there is a disengagement. The life of Buddha, after his enlightenment, when he was teaching, teaching thousands of people, the monks of his Buddhist order and the lay persons, and yet they were at least twice or thrice in a day, it's mentioned that he would withdraw from completely from society and sit and meditate. So this, this pattern of withdrawal and engagement, so withdrawal is called uparati. Um, Sri Ramakrishna is to say that uh, how does one attain spirituality? And he would say that Sadhu Sangha, the company of the holy, Prathana, uh, prayer to God, and he would say Nidjanevash. He would in invariably add so staying in a solitary place. Staying in a solitary place does not mean running away to a cave. It means cutting oneself off from society. Even the people whom you love, whom, who are very dear to you, Cut yourself off from society once in a while. And even from those whom you don't like, whom you dislike, they, we entertain them all the, all the time in our minds. We are always going on fighting against them in our minds. Stay away from them, externally and internally also. So this is uparati, withdrawing inwards. Titiksha, the next one. Spiritual endurance, 
fortitude. The world is going to hassle you. It's been hassling you and it's going to hassle you. That's a promise. <laughs> and no, I don't wish it upon you. Nobody wishes it upon you. It is our karma. Whatever we get, good or bad in life, is a product of our past karma. So it's going to come. Now, am I going to let it distract me from my spiritual goal? No. When I say I'm not going to let it distract me from my spiritual goal, troublesome events, maybe it's too hot, maybe it's too cold or rainy, maybe there are mosquitoes, uh, maybe there are um, troublesome people, maybe I have ill health, uh, I'm not feeling too good today, and so on and so forth. All of this has one effect of making me swerve away from my spiritual practice. If I don't allow them to do that, that is titiksha spiritual fortitude, to stick on to what I am doing. After all, people put up with so much trouble to earn money. If you have a job, to hold on to that job, so much of trouble you put on. You, you, you face the morning traffic, you disregard minor illnesses, so that one can turn up for the job. If one can do that to earn money, how much more so can we do, must we do, to find God? So, titiksha. What is titiksha? In Vivek Churamani, Shankaracharya is quoted here from there, from another of his works, Vivek Churamani, he says, Sahanam sarva dukkhanam apratikara purvakam chinta vilaparahitam sa titiksha sa nigadyate. This is called titiksha, spiritual fortitude, where I put up with all kinds of miseries and troubles. How do I put up with it? Apratikara purvakam, without unduly running around to to remedy the situation. See, here one must use common sense. I have so much pain in my knee or something that if, if I don't do something about it, I cannot meditate. Well, I must practice titiksha. I'll put up with it and try to meditate. Well, we cannot meditate that way. You must take care of it. What requires medicine? Give it medicine. What requires um, whatever? It, it might be uh, what requires a mosquito net? Very essential if you want to meditate in Calcutta. Because there are mosquitoes. Now I'm going to put up with the mosquito bites. Well, you're going to meditate all right, but you're going to meditate on the mosquito, not on God. So what common sense measures we must take, that much of course is necessary. But more than that, more than that. Uh, one senior Swami told me about a monk, young monk he had seen in the Himalayas. So it looked like a very promising young person. Like if he would sit for meditation, he might actually attain something. And what is this person doing? Constructing a cave which will be suitable for him for meditation. That will take him two or three years or four or five years of hard work. Daily from morning till evening, he's working hard. Removing the rocks and bringing back. So, now, the effort he's putting into that, that much effort could have been put into meditation and prayer. So, Titiksha is putting up with a little bit of difficulties in life, but focusing on spiritual practice. Chinta vilaparahitam, without internal reactions. Person insulted me, okay, I'm, I'm bearing it. I don't say anything in return, but I'm boiling inside. That won't do. It should be absolutely as if nobody has said anything to me, without any kind of reaction inside. Then, Shraddha. The... Um, Next quality to be, next discipline to be practiced, Shraddha. Nigamacharya Vakyeshu 
निगमाचार्यवाक्यु भक्ति श्रद्धेति विश्रुता भक्ति श्रद्धेति विश्रुता चित्तैकाग्र्यम तो सलक्ष्य चित्तैकाग्र्यम तो सलक्ष्य समाधानमिति स्मृतम समाधानमिति स्मृत श्रद्धा एंड समाधान द फिफ्थ एंड सिक्स्थ ऑफ द सिक्स ट्रेजर्स अ फेथ इन द वर्ड्स ऑफ द स्क्रिप्चर एंड टीचर निगमा द स्क्रिप्चर्स एंड आचार्य द टीचर अ फेथ एस आई सेड नॉट अ ब्लाइंड फेथ नॉट अ ब्लाइंड बिलीफ नोबडी इज आस्किंग फॉर दैट but enough like a working hypothesis what they are saying is quite possibly true maybe i don't get it now maybe i don't experience it now but it seems to be true it's been verified by many many people and so let me follow this let me take it under consideration that it's quite possible this kind of respect um to the scripture and the preceptor that is called shraddha and shraddha is extremely important Shraddha is extremely important in spiritual life. And then samadhana, focus. Chitta ekagriyam means focus, concentration of the mind. On what? Sat lakshye. Sat means, literally means the highest or it literally means existence. Brahman. Focus on the goal to be attained. I want enlightenment. That's my goal in life. And a complete focus on that. Well, I want enlightenment, but it's just number three on my ten-point to-do list this year. Oh no, that won't do. I met this person in the Himalayas in in Mayavati, in our ashram there, in Advaita Ashram. Young man, uh, he was um, sitting and reading the Ashtavakra Gita. I don't know why people who take to spiritual life Vedanta they go straight to the Ashtavakra Gita, the highest, <laughs> the most radical Vedantic text. You're sitting under a tree and reading that, and he said, "Swami, I'm worried." I said, "Why are you worried?" Well, I have been at it for one and a half months, and I haven't attained enlightenment yet. So I said, "Give it time." And then he said, "Well, I don't have time. I had two months off from my job in New York, and I should attain enlightenment and get back and join join my job." Well, what could I say? <laughs> uh, that's good. He's, he's enthusiastic, but focus. This is what I want in life. Sri Ramakrishna was incredible focus when he was crying, weeping for a vision of the Divine Mother Kali. People would see him at the when the sun was setting on the they could near the Ganges bank. They could see this young priest rubbing, crying and weeping and crying aloud to Mother and falling on the ground and rub, rubbing his face in distress on the rough ground. crying that another day has gone by mother the sun sinks on the horizon and i have not been able to see you people thought that maybe he is a village boy and he is missing his mum <laughs> that's focus that's focus the buddha sat down the final time he sat down for meditation before he got nirvana before he got bodhi enlightenment and he sat down ihasan ihasane shushyatu me deha let my body dry up and wither on in this meditation seat i shall not rise without getting illumination so that kind of focus tremendous focus on god many people are focused people who are successful in life have the ability to focus 
They have been focused on their jobs, on their careers. They are focused on what they can do. A musician can is very focused when he or she is playing something. An artist is very focused when he is painting or uh, a sculptor or a writer when the writer is writing. They are very focused, are capable of focus. But that's focus only in one area. Tell them to come and meditate, the same person, come and meditate on Brahman, you'll hear him slightly snoring after some time, sitting on the seat. <laughs> in different kind of samadhi, absorption. It's not all that easy. So focus on Brahman, on, on the Absolute. That is called samadhanam. Again, all of these things are, uh, they are spectrums. They are capable of being graded. We must have enough to start the journey, but one must keep looking at them. Like on a journey, you keep looking at the, at the dials on the dashboard, on, on the gas and the temperature and everything. Like that, one must keep an eye on how is my Viveka and my Vairagya and my Shama and Dhamma and Uparati, all these things. And then finally, an intense desire for liberation. Mumukshutvam. Samsara bandha nirmukti Samsara bandha nirmukti Katham me syat kadavidhe Katham me syat kadavidhe Itiya sudrida buddhi Itiya sudrida buddhi Vaktavyasa mumukshutam Vaktavyasa mumukshutam when and how shall I, O Lord, be free from the bonds of this world? This burning desire is called mumukshutvam. Sri Ramakrishna says, imagine a thief who is after gold, who knows that there is gold in the next room and there is only a thin partition which separates him from that gold. Imagine the eagerness. How will I get to that? That tremendous eagerness that God exists, it is true that I am Brahman, how do I realize this? I have the possibility of that. The doors to heaven have opened for me. How do I walk through? This kind of intense desire. I am suffering in this world. How do I get out of this suffering? Here is a way. A way which has been trodden by great spiritual masters for centuries, for millennia in the past. And they have attained what is promised here. So how can I attain that? That kind of intense burning desire for spiritual illumination is called mumukshutvam, mokshetcha, the desire for moksha or liberation. One more point, a little secret here. Um, these four or nine, there's a list. Now, the secret here is they are causally connected. Let me repeat that. They are causally connected. Causally connected means one leads to the other. One leads to the other. The initial viveka that there is some ultimate spiritual reality and this world is transient and full of sorrow. This difference, this clarity, it gives rise to a dispassion for the world and a desire to realize that. Vairagya. Viveka and Vairagya together strengthen the spiritual disciplines in our life. We, then we work to get our life in shape for this great spiritual adventure. When we have that discipline, that Vivek and Vairagya, with that discipline, strengthens the intense desire, then it becomes a burning desire. 
Somebody said that, if, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, if you have love for God, you don't need anything else. But the question we hesitate to ask is, how do I get love for God? Maybe it's not such a good thing to admit that I don't have enough love for God. How do I get love for God? Well, this is, it's how it is connected. Intense desire for liberation or love of God, it is connected in this way. How does it work? If there is Viveka, there will be Vairagya. If Viveka and Vairagya are there, the disciplines will be strong in our life, the six-fold disciplines. And if all of them are there, then that intense yearning for liberation will come. And one can see how it is. If one can simulate it mentally. If I had so much Viveka and Vairagya and the six-fold discipline, how would I feel? How would I think? How would I react to different circumstances in life? How would I speak? So, uh, they are causally connected. Now, how does one use them? If I have a problem with one of them, one should go a step back and see what precedes it and strengthen that one. What I mean by this is, if I am attracted to things in the world and I cannot overcome desires, instead of struggling with those desires, what most of us do. But the technique is not to struggle there, not to fight the battle there. Step back and look to the cause and fight the battle there. If, I am, if my vairagya is not strong, Instead of struggling there, let me strengthen the viveka. If the cause is strengthened, the effect is sure to come. If I am unable to um, maintain spiritual disciplines in my life, instead of struggling there, let me step back to viveka and vairagya and strengthen that. When viveka is strong and the dispassion for the world, vairagya is strong, the disciplines will come of themselves. They'll easily come. What else will you do? What else will you think about and what else will you do if you do not want anything in this world and you want only God? Then quietude of mind, shamaha, control of the sense organs, damaha, will automatically come. You don't have to struggle for that. So here is a little secret about the fourfold qualifications. They are causally connected. One leads to the other. Once The earlier one strengthens the next one. And when you fight the battle, when we fight the spiritual battle, it's interest, it is important to know what is cause and what is effect. If I want an effect, let me not struggle at that level. Let me go deeper, drill deeper back to the cause. Strengthen the cause, the effect will come. With these words, let me conclude the class today. We have run out of time also. This is the foundation for what is to follow. And let me say what is to follow is very exciting. It's going to be a thrilling ride and it starts with the very next verse which we shall do in the next class and that's next in the month I think Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu